Well, hello there, and welcome back to the Vegetarian Zen Podcast, a peaceful place for vegetarians, vegans, and the veg curious to share tips for living a more compassionate plant-based lifestyle. I am one of your hosts, Vicki. And this is Larissa. In today's episode of the Vegetarian Zen Podcast, we are pleased to welcome Kara Safeli. Kara is a certified health coach, holistic nutritionist, chef, author, podcast host, podcast host, <laughs> and avocado toast lover, as am I. Yummy. As I am not. Kara <laughs> passionately provides the tools to help women leave behind dieting, disordered eating, and body shame so that they can show up more fully in all areas of their lives. So I am really looking forward to speaking with her. Me too. I think this is going to be a good conversation. But before we get into that, we have a new rating. Yay! Yay! All right. This is from Saltman52. Saltman. Sounds very um, superhero. Saltman. Yeah. <laughs> like, what would his superhero... I am Saltman52. What, what would what would his uh, superpower be? I picture him like as an Aquaman kind of guy. That's kind of what I see. Awesome. But with salt. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Saltman52 says, I love these women. I love listening to Vicky and Larissa. It's like having my close friends over. Such a warm, non-judgmental conversation. Having recently had a bruising experience with a very ethical vegan, I especially appreciate the gentle tone these two maintain. Thanks. And keep up the great podcasts. Awesome. Thank you so much, Saltman52. And you know, Saltman could be somebody's last name too. So maybe it's a woman. I'm not really That's sure. That's true. <laughs> Just was thinking about that. All right. All right. Before we get into our interview, we want to speak to you about Plan to Eat. Here's here's the scoop on Plan to Eat, if you're not familiar with it. It is an online meal planner app that allows you to add and organize recipes, drag those recipes onto your calendar to plan them, and their software automatically creates a shopping list based on your planned recipes. So they provide you all of the tools that streamline the meal planning process, which has been a struggle for us. But this is something that we've used over the years and use it pretty consistently. Every now and then, to be honest, we will mm-hmm. jump off of the, the wagon for a little bit, but we notice it when we do that. Well, and I'll tell you what. We're just flying all willy-nilly. <laughs> Vicky busted me the other day writing down our meals for the week on a piece of paper. <laughs> oh my God, paper. And she said, why don't you put those in plan to eat? Exactly. Mm. You know, because we work from home and keep strange hours sometimes, we don't always make full use of the calendar feature, but we do make use of the grocery list all of the time. Yes. And it's great because they have like a, uh, you can keep different lists, including a like, like a stores. stock, uh, uh, like things that we normally, no, staples. That's staples. What we call it. Yeah, yeah, staples like list. Pantry items. So that way you just push a little button and they automatically like, let's just say bananas. I get bananas every week. It, I just, mm-hmm. uh, when we just have a little, like, re-add it, right? That's right? And you can even enter a quantity. Yes. That's um, that's awesome. Yeah. At uh, So to sign up, you can sign up for a 30-day free trial. You can visit vegetarianzen.com forward slash plan to eat. And here's what I like about their trial, too. They don't try to trick you in to joining them. You know how, have you ever signed up for a trial and you put in your credit card and then they... Uh, they automatically you know, it, it, charge Yeah, you. they automatically, yeah. at the end of your trial, this will automatically turn into a $400 or whatever. And then I say, thing. at the end of reading this sentence, 
I'm automatically leaving. I'm out of there. Because I won't remember to cancel it. Yeah, what's really cool about them is there's nothing to cancel at the end of their trial. You try this for free for 30 days and you can subscribe to it for $4.95 a month or $39 a year should you choose to to stick on, stay on. That reduces it to $3.25. That's pretty good uh, savings. Yeah, but there's nothing to, to uh, cancel. So it's not like you're going to be charged automatically. And they even say on their website, they won't bother you if you cancel but they might cry a little. <laughs> <laughs> so again, you can check it out at vegetarianzen.com forward slash plan to eat. All right. Are we ready to get into our interview with Kara? Did I just say all white? All white? You may have. All white. I am. I'm wetty. All right. All right. So let's get into our interview with Kara. As we mentioned, she is a certified health coach, holistic nutritionist, chef, She's also a fellow podcaster. She inspires others to leave behind society's expectations as she guides them into their most confident and vibrant versions of themselves. I really dig that a lot. She is a self-taught chef who learned to love food again after she was recovering from a uh, from 10 years of living with an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And she has a new book out that's called Vegan Buddha Bowls. So let's go ahead and bring Kara on the show. Okay, welcome to the show, Kara. Welcome. Hi. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here. We're really excited to talk to you today. There's, there's been some, some members of our community have talked about um, a big part of what we're going to talk about today. But before we get into that, let's uh, talk a little bit about you. Can mm. you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Oh, I'm like, oh, where do I start? Um, <laughs> I'll start with like the present moment. Okay. Um, so I'm a health coach I, or a creative entrepreneur. So I, I work with um, predominantly women. I have had some male clients sprinkled in, in the mix with uh, those who are struggling with their relationships with food. So disordered eating and those who find eating to be complicated and something that's taking up a lot of brain space. I, su- I support people in being at more at peace with their body if they're struggling with their body image. Um, and help them feel more confident in who they are. And I have a podcast like you guys and have written a couple of books and I do this full time. I love this work. And I I got into this work because I had an eating disorder. I struggled with an eating disorder for 10 years and it really made everyday life difficult. And after being in, being highly recovered for several years, I discovered coaching as like a career and immediately it was like, Oh, I think that's it. I think that's what I need to do. And here I am. So first, let's talk a little bit about your podcast. What's the name of your podcast? Love Your Bod Pod. Oh, I like that. I like yeah. that. And what kind of things do you guys talk about? I mean, it's a little, little self-evident, but like, what are some of the topics you, you go into? Yeah. Intuitive eating, food freedom, diet culture, size as a social justice issue. We talk about the political and societal influences that make people feel so insecure with their bodies. We talk about weight stigma and discrimination. uh, And we talk about female empowerment and a little bit of entrepreneurship. I've had some other like fellow coaches on there as well. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So I do want to talk a little bit before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about my story and this is why I was mentioning to you that I think this really interested me. And I know several members of our community as well is that I've had a very, uh, as you see on your website, complicated relationship with food over the years. I started dieting at the age of 12 
I was not overweight by any means. I was a I was a jock. I was I played basketball. I was on three different basketball teams. I played volleyball. I was I did a lot of stuff. So I was but I just I think a lot of teenage girls particularly start to compare themselves and and start to feel like they're not enough. So I remember asking my mom for some diet medication at that time. And back then it was the 80s. Parents didn't really it wasn't that big of a deal and doctors encouraged you to lose weight. So that's where it began to be really obsessive with me though, up until when I was in my teens and I actually started to go borderline. I had, I swung from like binge eating to like um, anorexia, even almost anorexia. I mean, I would go days without eating and, and I wasn't, again, my parents, it's not that they didn't care. They just didn't, it was kind of the norm. You know, and I think it was, I remember when Karen Carpenter died, that was like a big slap to like wake up slap to a lot of people. You remember our Karen Carpenter? Okay. Karen Carpenter was of the, she was the one half of the Carpenter's music group and she died of anorexia. She just starved herself to death. And wow. I remember that was a big, do you remember that Larissa? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, that was, you know, I was a huge Carpenters fan when I was, when I was growing up and, um, yeah, that was, that was a shock. I mean, and it, it brought that really brought that out into, uh, you know, eating disorders like that out into public view, because I mean, I think before that it just, it really wasn't something that was, um, there was a lot of awareness about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was a big, I think, a big wake up for a lot of people. And then I went the other way. And then I started just to not care about any of that stuff and then gained a lot of weight. So, uh, and I, I mentioned to you also a bit ago that at the beginning of the year, Larissa and I started really trying to pay attention to our macros. You know, we're getting older and we're going through changes and stuff. And so I said, I really have to pay attention to what I'm putting into my body with respect to, you know, enough protein, enough uh a good balance of, of all of that stuff. But I have to be really careful because it's such a slippery slope for me. While I don't consider myself to have an eating disorder right now, I do think there is some still disordered eating, if that makes sense to you. Yeah, absolutely. And especially with someone who has the history that you have, which I don't actually think is that uncommon. You know, according to a lot of the research that I've read and the statistics I've looked at, 91% of the female population in the United States is dissatisfied with their bodies. And one of the largest triggers for dieting is body dissatisfaction. So just like you had said, when you were 12, feeling insecure and feeling like you weren't enough. And so you wanted to lose weight so that you could feel better about yourself. You know, dieting is the gateway drug, so to speak, for eating disorders. You know, NIDA, according to the National Eating Disorders Association, one in four dieters goes on to develop an actual eating disorder. So given your history, given my history, tracking macros is very triggering. And like you said, it is a very slippery slope because you can go into it with wanting to take care of yourself, like you had said, wanting to take care of your health. And it's just a matter of time before it spirals into obsession and rigidity, OCD behaviors, and all-consuming thoughts, obsession with the scale, et cetera, et cetera. It's a fine line. Yes. And that's why I was... Uh... So when Larissa and I started doing the My Fitness Pal and we started kind of paying attention to that, it was all fine and good at the very beginning. But before I knew it, just like a trained uh, 
animal or something. I was just, I was getting on the scale every day, every day. Whereas we had said, we're only going to get on the scale Monday. Before I knew it, it was just there and I was getting on the scale every day. And I was starting to feel that same trigger, those triggers Mm. start to fire. So did you stop tracking? Yeah. Well, I stopped tracking. The, I, st- I, st- I laid off of it a little bit. So I, I moved back. What my fitness pal really helped with, though, is it does help me see like, okay, I'm not getting enough protein. And that's a big thing. You know, that's the stereotype with vegetarianism, right? <laughs> is that you don't get enough protein. I told her, oh my gosh, I'm turning into a stereotype. I'm not getting enough. Just because I wasn't paying attention to it. And it has helped move me more toward healthier like paying it making healthier choices getting more bang for the buck with when it comes to nutrients but i just have to be really careful and and i need to lose weight i mean i need to lose some weight because uh, as i get older your metabolism starts to slow down so it's certainly not at this point it's definitely not about um i need to look good for some you know it's not like about that it's more of a i do have some health things that i need to pay attention to well and i i think that one of the things that the um the my fitness pal you know doing that and we do this periodically i think you know at least once a year we the past few years we've done weight watchers and you know we'll do it for like a three month stint at a time you know and then um and then you know go off of it stop that because i mean you know, it is, does have some expense to it. Um, but uh, one of the things that it helps us, whether we do Weight Watchers or the MyFitnessPal where we track calories, is making us aware of portion sizes. And I know that's an issue um, for both of us is, you know, the portion sizes. And we don't realize until we actually start like looking at that and saying, okay, how much is, you know, um, one serving of half a cup. Okay. Not two cups, a half a cup, you know, and that's one thing that it helps us um, kind of refocus on. Yeah. So my follow up question to that is, do you feel like you're listening to your body? throughout this process. So what I see a lot of is when we start to listen to these external authorities, like my fitness pal, tracking macros and calories, weight watchers, we get disconnected from our body signals and cues and your body's needs are individual and unique. And they change day to day based on your activity level, based on what you're up to, based on where you are in your menstrual cycle. And when we pay attention to what that says is the correct portion, that's almost an assumption because your needs are unique. And so what I find is while, yes, do I understand that they can be helpful in taking a look at like what is considered a portion, but is it also disconnecting you from your intuitive wisdom of like what your body is saying? Like, is it meaning if you're paying attention to what Weight Watcher says you need to do, are you not actually listening to what your body is saying it needs and wants? And what's the impact of that disconnection over time? That is so right on. I mean, that is that really a light bulb just went on in my head. And I know that to be true. Um, I think what what happens, though, because Larissa can do that. She could say, oh, this is a portion and she can just portion it out and just eat it. And she may be hungry later, but she doesn't even think twice about it. And like I said, we've been with the scale. But me, it's a whole different issue that runs deeper that can start to go that can start to swing. You know what I mean? I can start to say, Oh my gosh, I'm going to starve myself again. I think that's what my, what I do now is that whenever I feel there's a diet coming on that my body goes and corrects the other way, you know what I mean? So part of it is, is that really, I, I guess what it is is that I've lost touch with that internal wisdom in some ways that would tell me, cause I don't know how much is psychological versus how much is my body anymore. 
Well, and you know, I, I will say one thing that I do see in in you, Vicky, is uh, the getting that kind of that obsession with um, the like with the macros um, when we start looking at my fitness pal I mean I I looked at the macros and I'm like oh there's no way I'm ever gonna get you know like that much potassium and and you know even if I liked bananas I couldn't get that much potassium and and I I do see that in you um, with you know the issues that you deal with getting obsessed with that and and saying oh my gosh, and, and stressing out because it's like, uh, you know, I ate so much uh, potassium containing foods, but look what my fitness pal says. It only says I had, you know, it says I only got half of my potassium allowance or, or and things like that. So I do see that um, in you. Mm-hmm. It's that what I'm seeing between the two of you is just difference in mindset. And like you had said, for Larissa, it sounds like this doesn't become obsessive. It doesn't become rigid. For you, it sounds like it's a helpful tool, but in some ways it also is more relaxed. Like it's no big deal if maybe you don't fully meet it. Whereas with Vicky, given your history, it is more triggering and it does become rigid, rigid and obsessive. And you had said something really potent and powerful that I wanted to touch on about how the second it starts to feel like a diet, it's like your body freaks out. Mm -hmm. I have really come to believe that like dieting and restriction, those diet pills, you not eating for days, that's trauma to the body. You know, the physical body needs food to survive. And when we're not giving it, it's traumatized. And so your body has learned this pattern of behavior. It's learned when you start to have those thoughts and you start to track and control, your body gets traumatized and gets afraid that it's then not going to have food like it did for days when you were a teenager. And so it makes sense that for you, all of a sudden, it's like it quickly goes down a, a bad path. It does. And and especially because it was during very formative years. And on top of all of that, I was dealing with being gay. And I came out when I was 12. But I, 12. I can't help but feel that this was all kind of related in some way because I couldn't control certain things. You know, in the 80s, being gay was not something. I mean, I had to endure a lot of gay jokes around family and friends just and well, not at an all-girls catholic school too so <laughs> wow well by, by that time i came i came out though i was already by the time i went to a catholic my school true. i was out i mean i i was yeah. like i had a lot of issues at that time because i was dealing with that and it was more survival than anything that i had to be out and, and it wasn't that big yeah. of a deal but at right well but you 12, were at a you were at a, a a catholic private um uh grade school too that's where probably it was a little bit yeah. more because right when I developed that eating disorder, like I said, I was in seventh or eighth grade. That was right before high school. And that's where it was really weird, like trying to, you know, like fit in by liking guys, but I didn't like guys. I wanted to play <laughs> football with the guys. I didn't want to date the guys, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, it was a really weird time. And that's where all that happened. So you're absolutely right, Kara. I think it's just, it's so such a habit that as soon as those things start to fire again, that's when I have big issues. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, And and for a lot of us, like our eating disorders are coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. And so you wanting to control your weight and to control your food, like you had said, a lot of things are out of control coming out in the eighties. It's not like it would be coming out today. So it's very possible that this was a way that you were trying to feel safe or to, to conform and to be accepted when you felt like you were coming out in and and with the possibility of not being accepted and so Mm -hmm. it could have very well also been a way to deal with 
all of that internal identity that was happening. Right, right. And I guess the on the other side of that, like I said, at this point, it's not, at least I don't see on, I, I don't really feel that it's about acceptance at this point, but I do have some legitimate concerns with being overweight because, you know, I have knee issues. I'll have to have a knee replacement. I'm in my 50s now. I have to watch cholesterol. I have to watch all those, you know, diabetes runs in my family. So I have to be careful of that. So how how would you coach like somebody in my situation, you know, being like, there are some legitimate concerns, but, you know, you also have to be careful of of the triggers. Yeah, absolutely. Genuine health concerns are valid. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with wanting to take care of your health and be mindful of your blood sugar and exercising to help balance your blood sugar by increasing your cell's need for glucose. Like exercise is important for a number of things, including that. There's nothing wrong with wanting to pay attention to if you are going to eat something that's really high in carbs, that you're also having something that's high in protein and fat to balance your blood sugar. There's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that. And there is absolutely a place for nutrition in the eating disorder recovery space, in the anti-diet space, in the intuitive eating space. All of that's real. One of the things that I have found to be most helpful, though, is for us to pursue health-promoting behaviors without a focus on weight. What I find is that when we focus on the number on the scale or in pounds coming off, that's when it becomes a little bit more triggering because we're we're not paying attention to how we're actually feeling. And so when you're pursuing these health promoting behaviors, when you are, when you do have legitimate health concerns to really focus on how you're feeling and to focus on the behaviors and less on um, the metric like pounds lost and Mm -hmm. like, and also a component of that is just having awareness, is just being really present with yourself if you are making changes with what you're eating, to be really aware of your mindset when you're approaching them and keeping your focus on improving your health outcomes. Before we get back to the podcast, just a quick word from one of our sponsors. Hey, Vicki. Hey, Larissa, what's up? I was just wondering, is there a cool place where I could find some awesome vegetarian and vegan merch? Ah, well, look no further than the Vegetarian Zen Swag Shop. Ooh, awesome. Where you can find all sorts of plant-based swag for your bod and your abode. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, onesies for that little baby, phone cases, totes, mugs, pens, wall art, and more. We have a wide variety of designs, which includes our famous Yin Yang Peas and Carrots logo. What up, Peas and Carrots? <laughs> but other designs as well, like Living Life on the Veg, Powered by Plants, Keep Calm, Plants Have Protein, Be Kind to Every Kind, and lots more cute sayings and animal graphics. To check out the new shop, head out to vegetarianzen.com forward slash store. And remember, whenever you buy from us, you're supporting a plant-based small business. And also, all the designs in our shop were created by independent artists. It's a win-win-win. And now, back to the show. So, um, I noticed, and I alluded to your, your coaching a little bit. You do have coaching that you offer, correct, on your site? Yeah, I do it full time. Yeah, for two years now. Yeah. And so is this something common, like what I'm describing to you, or there's like certain patterns that you see that amongst your, your, your clients? 
Yeah. The patterns that I see are like you had said, when food becomes complicated. So it's thinking about food too much. Like you're, you're kind of thinking about it all of the time. A lot of what I see is people judging their hunger and their fullness of like, I see a lot of people getting caught up in like paying attention to the clock as opposed to their internal cues of like, oh, it's not time to eat, but their body's sending them a hunger signal. I see a lot of body dissatisfaction, a fixation on weight loss and wanting to lose weight as opposed to honoring our health. And that gets convoluted in our society because we're taught that like weight and health are the same thing. We're taught that like thin is healthy and and fat is unhealthy. And we're taught in society that you can't be quote fat and healthy. However, research doesn't back that up. In fact, when you look at the population of people, so those who are overweight, not obese, they actually have the lowest rate of of mortality. They're actually the healthiest population, but you wouldn't know that given what we're exposed to in society and how fat is talked about and how weight is talked about. So I see also hopping from like lifestyle to lifestyle. So like, I'm going to try paleo. I'm going to try keto. I'm going to try veganism. I'm going to try SOS. I'm going to try Ayurveda. And I see a lot of people constantly looking outside of themselves for how to best take care of their bodies. And so really what I do is I support women in listening to the wisdom of their bodies, figuring out what way of eating makes them feel good in their bodies. And I support them in self-acceptance and body acceptance, like underneath the root of almost all disordered relationships with food is body dissatisfaction, truly. One of the things you said just really made me kind of chuckle because that um, scale where you said, oh my gosh, like you lose so much touch with your body with, I don't know if I'm at a hunger level 10 versus a five. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But that's how much touch you can lose, you know, that you don't even realize that. Whereas when you're growing up, like I said, before I ever started my first diet, I didn't even think about it. And I, you know, I didn't have any issues at all. Yeah. If you're hungry, you eat something or say, mom, I'm hungry. Can I have a snack? Or, you know, but now, I mean, it is, it's so complicated. And then, you know, with, um, with Vicky's issue, I don't have Vicky's issues, but I have issues with um, addiction to sugar specifically. Um, I don't know if you deal with anything like that, but, uh, um, and it's particularly bad for me because I'm diabetic uh, type Mm. two. And I was diagnosed type two, uh, what, Vicky, about 15 years ago, mm-hmm. maybe uh, 12 or she's, 15 She's years. managed it without medication for the most part. Though. Yeah, I, I, I can't take the medication. It put me in the hospital twice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the um, metformin, it dropped my, my blood sugar so low, so fast that I ended up in the hospital twice. Both times I tried it. But um, yeah, so my issues are, are different from Vicky's um, in that I struggle with uh, the, the sugar addiction and a lot of it for me is um emotionally um related and you know and i know how bad it makes me feel and it does make me feel bad when i eat sugar i feel like crud you know um but i feel like crud a while afterward but so in the short term it does you know what i want it to do um and then i feel like horrible um so are do do you deal with issues like that as well yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to respond to Vicky's thing about, and then I'll get into that. Mm-hmm. So about when you were younger, how it was just like kind of no big deal. Like children are the original intuitive eaters. We all pop out of the womb being deeply connected to our hunger and fullness cues, our satiety, our need for nourishment. We cry when we want food. We stop crying when we're full. We can easily have a bite of cake and then run off to the playground and like forget about it. So all of us have this woven into us. It's our default setting 
dieting actually disconnects us from that default setting, which is being really deeply connected to our intuition around food. So it makes perfect sense that you both had mentioned like that it was way less complicated when you were young. It totally is. In terms of the, the sugar addiction, I truly believe that you could be addicted to anything. Like you can be turning to something outside of yourself as a coping mechanism, as an avoidance strategy, as a way to escape, to not deal. And you had said that, you know, for you, you turn to sugar for emotional reasons. So do you mean when you're stressed, when you're sad, when you're anxious, you find yourself really craving sweet stuff? Yes and yes and yes. Yeah. So what I find is, is while you absolutely have a, a legitimate health concern, where you need to be really mindful of your sugar intake, and that is completely valid. And what it sounds like is that we we need to support ourselves in finding a more effective strategy to take the edge off when we are stressed, when we are emotional. So it's not just the fact that we're addicted to sugar in and of itself, but it's that we haven't found we haven't expanded our emotional coping toolkit. So we're still really reliant on the sugar. Mm -hmm. And then there's also this guilt factor that probably around it of like, I shouldn't eat it. It's bad for me, all of these things. So that compounds it. We're kind of like, we want what we can't have. So when we say I can't have sugar and you do have a legitimate reason to not have a lot of sugar, but when we say we can't have it, we kind of want it more. And so when we're stressed and we're anxious and we're already kind of like low energy, it makes sense that we go to the one thing we take away. And so what I would recommend is, is, figuring out other ways to help you deal with the stress, the anxiety, et cetera, et cetera. And also you do have to be mindful of the, of the sugar. Like you said, you have type two diabetes. So does that make, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, definitely it does. And, you know, it's, and Vicky knows, you know, how, how much I've struggled with this in the past. And, and it used to be that, that I would, would hide it, you know? And so I, this, the second I would get in the car to, to go run an errand, go to the post office, whatever, I, it would be in my head, okay, where can I stop and get something? You know, where can I, there's a donut shop right by the post office. You know, there's a Whataburger on the way I can get a shake. And, and it would get that in my head as soon as I would even know, even before I got in the car, you know, before I just, I know I'm going somewhere. So what can I do? And then it would just get in my head and like, that was all I would think about. So one of the things that I started doing is I started kind of using Vicky kind of as a confessional, (laughs) you know, so I would tell her, I would say, okay, you know, I'm going to the post office and I'm going to want to stop at the, the, you know, donut place, you know, and then she would say, don't do it, you know, and then I would, I would feel that kind of, um, responsibility to to not do that because she knows I, I told her and then if I do that then I'm sneaking something and I don't want to you know we have such a, a relationship such that we don't like hide stuff from each other so I kind of do that well and you know most of the time it's funny because it's one of those things where when you're on the outside of it you can see it more than when it's actually happened to you but I don't know that I actually said don't do it I would say how would you feel after that's yeah because when you say that because I know how you feel after after I you know had given mine I know how I feel after that and it's not good so usually I say how do you imagine you already did it how would you feel and then Mm -hmm. she says that but Kara the other thing you mentioned is that that I think is so important is that you really have to do some digging into seeing what is triggering this because it she because when i when she as larissa was talking i thought 
it's usually something just knowing her for so long. It's usually something bothering her mm-hmm. that her she's trained herself to think this is going to make it feel better. And right now I'm reading this book. I, I don't know if you can see it. It's called Atomic Habits by James, James Clear. It's a really good book. And it talks about how a lot of times these bad habits that we've developed, whether it be overeating or going to sugar or things that aren't good for us, alcohol, whatever it might be, it's because we're predicting that these things are going to make us feel better because it's based on our past experiences that we've linked these things together so so that we're already thinking, oh, like Larissa may be bothered by an argument she had with her mom, but she knows <laughs> that getting that donut and then that sugar yeah. hit is going to at least make her feel better for the next 15 minutes if that's it before she crashes. You know, it's funny. It's funny you say that. And yes, that's absolutely true. But as as I'm sitting here listening to you, I'm thinking, you know, there's a second component to it. And I think the second component is that, um, A, okay, it makes me feel good. But I also think that sometimes I do that to punish myself because I know how I'm going to feel, how bad I'm going to feel. And I think that I do that almost on purpose without realizing it at the time, you know, to punish myself for something. Mm, like self-sabotage. Um, absolutely. And I, I feel that I deserve to feel that bad. I deserve to, to have that headache. I deserve to, to you know, um, feel exhausted and just bad, you know. And I think that that's, that's a lot, a, a good part of it too. So it's mm-hmm. kind of between the two of those. What it sounds like, what I'm hearing is so if you eat the sugar and then you have the physical effects, you have the headache, the lethargy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. et cetera, you get to focus on that physical discomfort and you get yeah. to avoid dealing with why you were feeling ashamed of yourself, why you were yeah. feeling like you needed to be punished in the first place. So it's an avoidance strategy. Sure. I'm going to focus on the fact that I have this awful headache and not deal yeah. with whatever mistake I feel like I made in my life. Right. Yeah, that's true. Wow, so many light bulbs are going on in just these few minutes we've been talking. So that's awesome. Uh, Kara, let's talk a little bit about your website and some of the things. So we talked about your coaching that's on there. I think you also, if, if I'm not mistaken, I did see an online course also. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, I have a few. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so the first online coaching program that I offered was Break Free from Binge Eating. So I struggled. I was a bulimic. So I was the type of person who would restrict. I would try to eat perfectly all day long and like, you know, dressing on the side, no croutons, two tablespoons of peanut butter, like try to eat as perfectly as I could. And then I'd come home and like literally be standing in the pantry, shoving cookies in my mouth really fast or like standing in front of the fridge with the door open just eating and like sneaking around and like trying not to have my family hear me or my roommates hear me. And I really struggled with binge eating and I was so afraid of weight gain, which triggered the bulimia eventually. So my first course was all about helping women alleviate and eliminate the restriction in their lives that was triggering binge eating because restriction happens before the binging and restriction is multifaceted. It's physical, it's mental, emotional. And so the first program was that. And I built an online course and it included group coaching and and that was awesome. And then I've sort of evolved and I have another program called Food Body Soul, which is something that focuses on healing your relationship with food, healing your relationship with your body. And then once all that space is cleared up, because focusing on food and weight takes up a lot of time if you're struggling with disordered eating or an eating disorder. And so then the last component is like, okay, well now what? Now that we've cleared up all this brain space and this time, what are we going to fill it in with? How are we going to express ourselves? Um, yeah, 
And then I have a new one coming out later this month. I don't know if I should talk about that though. Yeah. Did you, yeah. Did you want to or? Sure. It's called Embodied Rebel Academy. And it is a program for those that aspire to have food and body image coaching businesses like myself. And I'm, I'm co-leading it with my mentor, who is my first ever coach. And we're teaching women how to help other women get uh, like transform their relationships with food and their bodies and then turn it into a business. So I'm really excited to talk about entrepreneurship. It's been something that like I've wanted to talk about. And so I'm excited about that opportunity. Oh, that's well, very cool. And we're very passionate about entrepreneurship too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that that is, um, it's, that's so important because what you're, you're doing with that is you're, you're growing the number of people who can help, you know, people like, like you were. And I mean, I think that's something that's really needed. So So that's, that's amazing. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you guys. Yeah. I'm excited. And then you have a book, right? Uh, Vegan Budapo book. Now, are you vegan? Are you 100% vegan? I'm actually not 100% vegan. Okay. Yeah, I am. I was vegan for many years Mm -hmm. and transitioning to plant-based diets was an incredibly important part of my personal healing journey. So my eating disorder was like low carb Atkins, like don't eat bread, don't eat potatoes, don't eat fruit because it's too high in sugar. That was my eating disorder. And so when I found plant-based diets, veganism, it's, it's basically high carb eating in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And it radically changed my perspective because there were all of these like professionals and doctors being like, you can eat these foods. I was like, I can eat a potato for real. (laughs) So, so it helped me. So I transitioned to veganism. I was, um, a hundred percent vegan for about four years. And then when I was further along in my healing process, I started to realize that my body was asking for other foods. So for a while I felt amazing on it. And then I started getting these really intense craving for eggs. And I was further into my body wisdom, intuitive eating journey. And I was like, And for a while, I didn't listen to them because I was very passionate about all of the benefits that come along with it, the animal activism, the environmentalism, um, environmental impacts. I was really passionate about like not participating in some of the food system because there's some injustice there with how they treat farmers, with food farm subsidies and how they impact the cost of food to consumers that I like wasn't happy about. And so I was really passionate about it, but eventually I decided to prioritize what my body was saying and I added back in eggs. So now I'm just someone who eats a ton of plant-based foods and I wrote vegan Buddha bowls, kind of like an ode to the role that veganism played in my own personal healing journey. And I'm excited that it's finally out. Yeah. I, I, I mentioned to you, we came out with a, with a small Buddha bowl book last uh, vegetarian Buddha bowl book last year last year and what i really liked about buddha bowls and larissa as well is that they're just this uh complete little meal right in this little bowl and you can make them as healthy or not as you want to really but i really just like you know we work from home now and it's so it's actually harder for me because there's the same structure when i was working a nine to five job isn't there and so we have to we'll go a good part of the day sometimes going we didn't eat or you know we'll be like i'll be eating pumpkin seeds or something and go i'm really hungry or just no you know and so these kind of make it a lot easier so very much we were very much passionate about that as well and that's kind of our our ode to it also is that wow this made things a little bit easier for us 
Yeah. And I can do that too. Like, like all of a yeah. sudden it's like 2 PM and I'm like, Oh, I'm like yeah. actually <laughs> starving and was so caught up in whatever I was doing that I'd like, didn't make time to eat. Um, and yeah, I just love eating out of bowls. Yeah. It's easy, right? Yeah. And it's easy. It's easy just to just, um, have components in the refrigerator and then you just like put everything together and you can combine this and that and whatever. And, you know, um, that way, and it, it, it's helpful for us too, because I am like uber picky. I'm like the six year old, you know, eater. Um, uh, but I'm 48. Um, so I guess I'm the six times eight year old or nice. eight times six year old. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah. So there are a lot of things that Vicki likes to put in hers, like that, um, avocado on your wall that I don't. And <laughs> So it makes it a lot easier for us to just have like basic things and then she adds what she wants and I add what I want. Yeah, our community will really appreciate that you have this huge avocado on the back because they give her <laughs> so much trouble for the things she doesn't like, like coconut she doesn't like, she doesn't like banana, she doesn't like uh, avocado. And they're like, well, what do you eat? <laughs> her spinach, her, her uh, salad is essentially spinach. With yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel like I only like discovered av- av- avocados being like so amazing, like probably seven years ago when I was in recovery, because for the longest time I was so afraid of fat. So I never mm-hmm. let myself eat avocados. So it wasn't even until like in my eating disorder recovery that I discovered them. And I've just kind of been like one of those annoying avocado obsessed people ever since. <laughs> so Larissa, I, Larissa and Vicky will, you know, Vicky and I will eat your avocados. Yeah, there you exactly. Go. You can have them, have them all, all the bananas, everything. Yeah. Well, Kara, this has been a really great uh, interview and I really appreciate it. I, like I said, I just, as you were speaking, I had a lot of light bulbs go on off for myself. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate a lot of the insight you shared. Where can folks, what's the best place that folks can find you if they want to learn more about you and what you're doing? Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. This was a blast. And like I had said before we started recording, I was listening to episodes of your podcast and you are some of the most welcoming, kind, warm people ever. I was really inspired and really drawn in. Thank thank you. you. Yeah. And thank you for having me on. I'm at Kara's Kitchen, Kara with a C, Kitchen with a K on Instagram. My website is karaskitchen.net. Vegan Bootables is Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, wherever books are sold. And the podcast is Love Your Bod Pod. Excellent. Well, we'll link up to all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much again for for being our guest today. And we really look forward to staying in touch with you. Thank you. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Okay. We hope you enjoyed that interview with Kara Safali. You know, this is something that's been a very, this is probably one of the biggest challenges that I faced in my Mm -hmm. life, dealing with this relationship with food. So, uh, you know, just talking to her really helped me think about some things that I hadn't really thought about before. Right. And I look forward to having some discussions with you, you know, about um, both of us since this. um, So thank you, Kara. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And again, as we mentioned, we will have all of her information in the show notes. I think that does it for our episode this week. Until next time. Peace out. Bye. Thanks for joining us today on Vegetarian Zen. We've created a free resource for you to show you five ways to sneak more fruits and veggies into your diet. You can download it right now by visiting vegetarianzen.com. Until next time, wishing you a happy body and a healthy mind.